Good morning. Left to my own devices, I think I'd just carry on singing the rest of the morning. Just glorious music this morning. Glorious, glorious exaltation of God. Oh. And if you add that to the subject we're looking at this morning, um, it brings with it, for me anyway, it brings with it a, a huge challenge, a huge sense of uh, awe. When I read the passage through, when I first was asked to preach on it, uh, it's hard to describe the emotions it brought to me. Absolutely massive emotions. I want to read the whole thing. It's quite lengthy, uh, which, yeah, means probably we'll speak after it less than I would have done otherwise, but don't count on it. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, right through chapter 32 to 33, verse 6. So I hope you've got the stamina. If you remember the context, uh, Moses is up the mountain receiving details of the, uh, how the tabernacle was to be built and uh, uh, the law being engraved by the finger of God on the tablets of stone. All that's going on. The people, the people have seen cloud and fire on the top of the mountain. Yeah. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these, he, they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make you your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. 
Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his, his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his, ha his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you let, led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came his calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap his sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother, friend, and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck down, sorry, the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. And the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb.
astonishing. I think the thing that astonishes me more than the folly of the people is the patience of God. Let's, let's just remember what's happened. God had rescued his people, Israel, the descendants of Jacob. God had rescued them from captivity in Egypt through Moses. And Aaron had been at Moses' side the whole time, being his mouthpiece. They had witnessed God do remarkable miracles in Egypt and at great cost seen how they were delivered from Egypt. And then they had witnessed with the Egyptian armies chasing them after the Pharaoh changed his mind. They'd witnessed the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and they'd, they'd witnessed their protection and they'd witnessed the Red Sea being parted from side to side. They'd been able to go through in safety and they'd witnessed the Egyptian army being destroyed as the sea came down again. They continued to see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They had seen manna produced on the ground in the morning to feed them. They'd even seen quail drop out of the sky to feed them. And they'd seen water come from a rock to quench their thirst. Moses had been up the mountain once. He'd, he'd received the law. He'd come back down. He'd explained the law to the people. And the people had said, we today agree. We choose. We choose. Yes, 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 yes. And then Moses had gone back up the mountain. He seemed to be up and down an awful lot, Moses. It, it's, if you read it, it's amazing, especially at his age. Um, the people had seen all this. Moses was up the mountain receiving the details of it all. Forty days. That's less, I think it's less than the time since New Year's Day to now. 40 days. That's the context of what we read together. That's the astonishment of it. And I just want to share a few things we can learn and apply to ourselves. But as we do so, I, 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 want, it to, I want us to personalize it. The first thing we learn is how quickly we turn. How quickly we turn. How could it be after only 40 days? You know, they've seen all this. Where's this bloke gone? Hey, Aaron. Want some new gods now, please? Yeah? We haven't got the patience and we're not getting any fun out of this and all that sort of stuff. And we easily forget that times of great experiences with God are often followed by times, for me personally, have been followed by times of great weakness with God. If you want examples of that in scripture, look at Elijah and the prophets of Baal. After the great victory, Jezebel threatens him and he runs for his life and is depressed. We turn so easily, we become self-absorbed. We look for what satisfies in the wrong place. When I was at Sixth Form College, one of the first people ever to go to a Sixth Form College, well, the Sixth Form College in Luton, we had a, a, a Christian union, a Christian forum it was called, because they like to sound posh, and uh, they had dual leadership. Uh, I led from the male point of view, and there's a girl led from the female point of view, funny enough. And um, it was great. We, we, we worked hard at making the, the Christian forum work, and then 
One day she and a friend who was a daughter of a Pentecostal minister came to me and said, oh, we're, we're chucking it all in. Uh, we've had such a great weekend getting up to stuff that uh, our parents certainly aren't going to find out about. And, uh, and if there's a God at all, you know, he doesn't want to know about. So that's it. And I was just gobsmacked. These were people I spent time with, I prayed with. Gobsmacked. In the case of the, case of the girl who uh, helped run the Christian Forum, as far as I know, uh, she never repented, never turned back. The other girl did. The other girl did. And that hurts, you know. That hurts. And in ministry over the years, I've had the privilege of leading a number of different churches, and at least two of them now are in positions... I don't want to exaggerate the point where they've made choices which, in my view, are just plain unbiblical with regard to some moral standards, even though I invested a huge amount of time as did others teaching them and laying the foundations and all that sort of stuff, and that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. Imagine what would happen if all of a sudden Andy and Paul and Keith were whisked off. I don't mean the second coming, I don't mean the rapture. Hopefully there'll be a few more. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> but imagine if, if they were sort of whiffed off and suddenly you're scrambling around and some very sort of plausible person came and said, you know, I, I'm good at this. And for a while everything was fine. And then little by little, little by little, a different teaching came in in a different way. And yeah, well, we know the Bible says that, but of course you can't take the Bible too seriously on these kind of issues and so on and so on and so on. Do you know how long it would take for the fellowship who'd be here to buy into that on average about two years because people tend to believe what they hear from the front and that's why discipleship is so important that's why it's really important you have teachers who get you to open your bible who get you to think for yourself read for yourself pray for yourself learn for yourself so the roots go deep we turn so so quickly the long haul isn't comfortable that's the problem we want to feel good now and if possible, we'd like to feel good without being accountable now. Second thing we learn is this, that worship is ingrained. It's ingrained within the very fabric of humanity to worship. Everybody worships. Moses is gone, don't know what's happened to him. Let's ditch his nonsense. Oh, but we need something, don't we? So tell you what, Aaron, make us some new gods. A new way, a new vision. Get a bit fed up with the old one. Get a bit tired, it's hard work. Do something new for us, Aaron. And invariably, of course, when we look for the new way, the new way is about me. Let's find a, a God, or at least an understanding of God, which makes no demands. Let's found, find a, an understanding of God, or a God who allows for sexual freedom and excess and makes no requirements of us in those areas so that the fundamental value of human freedom is treasured. It all sounds so plausible. Revelry, revelry and a good time is one of the major worshipping activities of our day. Did you know that? Weekend after weekend, all sorts of people go to their places of worship so they can worship self-indulgence. It's astonishing. I've heard the conversations, you know, well, I got, I got really stoned out of my mind last night. Been such a good time. And you look at the person who's talking to you and you think, it might have been good then, it certainly isn't now. Really? You'll find 
some of those people will be in church the next day as well. Increasingly so. Oblivious to any contradiction. Oblivious to the fact that there might be a, a God who actually requires something of us. Even atheists worship. They worship themselves or their own intellect or, or the satisfaction of not being accountable and so on. It, it varies. It is never a matter of whether or not we worship, but what we worship and how we worship, always. Third thing I, th I think we need to take note of here is how desperately we need godly leaders. And thank God we've got some. Aaron was Moses' brother, you know. I've already said he, he was there on the whole journey. He'd witnessed it all. He'd witnessed the miracles. He, he'd even seen his own rod transformed, come alive. Let's see his weakness. Oh, the, the people are demanding it. I, I need to give it to them. That was his excuse to Moses. Moses, don't be angry with me. It's what the people asked for. I think I told you before, I knew a Baptist minister who, who led a church not too far from mine who actually told me that he, he discovered the secret of leadership and it was to find out where the people are going and get in front. And there was denial as well. Well, we, we kind of popped the gold, gold in the fire and out popped this calf. It's so ridiculous, uh, and I'm, I'm fascinated with how the description is actually given. They cast it, and they fashioned it with a tool. Talk about making God, eh? If you contrast that with the early stone altars of the Israelite people, they were to be made of uncut stone. No, no tool was to be used in fashioning even at the altar before God in those early days. Now you contrast Aaron with Moses. Moses comes down the mountain heartbroken as to what he's heard from God and what he's hearing and he shatters the stone tablets in righteous anger. And then he pleads with God for the people in intercession. Begs that God might still have time for them. And he even offers himself in exchange. Lord, blot me out rather than reject them. Now let me tell you which I'll ask you the question, which of those two is the leader, Aaron or Moses? We need leaders who have passion for the glory of God and passion for the people, passion for the church of Jesus Christ. Fourth thing, simple question. Whoever is for the Lord. Quite dramatic, Moses standing there, the entrance to the camp. And he shouts, whoever is for the Lord, come and stand with me. I wonder if he thought anybody would come. I wonder if he really believed this was it. But the Levites, tribe of Levi, came to his side. They were the ones who came. There may have been some others. We don't know. I don't think the Bible's being totally exclusive there. But it's saying, in particular, it was the Levites who did this. And, of course, their, their long-term reward for that was that they would always be the priestly people. They would always be those from whom priests would be chosen in the future, those who served around the presence of God. They didn't know that at the time. They just made their choice. And it reminds you, of course, uh, it reminded me of a, a cry some years later that Joshua made. Remember Joshua, who'd come up the mountain with 
Moses came down the mountain with Moses and witnessed it all years and years later. He said, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You see, the context of the time, and I don't understand how God works it out, that I know God is always right and always does what is right and what is just. But to us, the idea of these Levites going through the camp and slaying 3,000, 3,000 of those who were close to them. And then the plague came a little later. What do we learn from that? Well, the price of discipleship is great and God has to come before family, before friendships, before anything else. God comes first in his ways and in his commands and within the, within the new covenant, thankfully, we're not called to go out and slaughter people. You know, I'm not suggesting that, but make no mistake, the unrepentant will still face the awful judgment of God. Sin always has consequences. The primary consequence of sin was the death of Jesus on the cross. When he bore our sin in himself, that people might be forgiven. And in him and through that, there is grace which brings forgiveness, but outside of that, there is none. Not in terms of saving power. Sin is an awful thing and it brings judgment. And as a nation here, I believe with all my heart that we're heading towards days when the separation of the choices that have to be made and where we choose to stand are going to be stark and we're going to have our hearts broken by those who will stand and those who won't. Let me read what Jesus said in Matthew. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34. Jesus said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake We'll find it. So just in case you were thinking Old Testament days, the costs were great. Yeah, the context different. But the requirements of discipleship are every bit as great. And I don't say it lightly. You know? I'm passionate about my family. Pray for them all. In fact, I pray regularly for all the descendants from my grandparents down to four generations after mine. I don't know them all by name because some of them emigrated to Australia years ago. But that's where I pray and those I know by name I pray for. Many are walking with God, many are not. But I keep praying. But the choice has to be made. Which brings me to the last point I want to make and then we'll wrap it up. You see, it's all about the honour and glory of God. Thanks Rachel for the songs this morning. That's what they've been about. The honour and glory of God. It is everything. It's why we live. It's about him. Life is about him. It's not about how happy I am. It is not about whether my inner dreams are, are delivered. It's, it's not about whether I can achieve anything I put my mind to and all that claptrap which is out there. It's about whether I achieve what I am made for, which is the glory and honor of God. There is still life nowhere else and hope nowhere else. 
And I know we fall short, don't get me wrong. Uh, and we should be humbled and, and when we do, uh, come with keen repentance. But when we seek to justify our sinfulness and even seek to bring it to the heart of worship to have God bless it, then essentially we are trampling the name of God underfoot. And we become what the children of Israel were becoming in those days. The church of Jesus Christ becomes a laughingstock among unbelievers. If you think the kind of trendy nature of how church is developing in this land at the moment makes unbelievers think more highly of the church, you're living on a different planet because they can see better than we can. Much of the church is ridiculed. It's a laughingstock because everybody knows it doesn't stand anywhere securely. I'm exaggerating slightly to make a point. Yeah, I know we're saved by grace through faith alone. And I want no child of God present here today to feel condemned because we are accepted in Christ. But I do want us to recognize the seriousness, seriousness of sin. I want us to recognize the damage it does to us and to others. And I do want that we should seek the glory of God and have it seen through us and our actions. So I guess I want to finish by asking the question, who is for the Lord this morning? Used to sing the old hymn, who is on the Lord's side, you remember? Another song came to my mind uh, earlier in the service, uh, we used to sing the chorus, let your glory fall in this place. No, let your glory fall in this room, let it go forth from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to seek your face. It's about him. And this morning, as we've worshipped, we've touched his glory. But we're going to finish with a, a, a video. I, I was torn all week about this. I really wanted to sing it together. But I was persuaded, and rightly, that not enough of you knew it. You'd be too busy learning it to appreciate it properly. Uh, so we're going to watch, a, a, watch it, listen to it and on the screen with some pictures. But it's my... My favorite song is not the right word. It's the song I sing to myself most often. I'll just read the words. Then you've got, you'll see, I know you'll see them again. And you think I might be laboring the point. And I'm not quite sure how we're going to finish after you see it. But at the very least, I'll come back and pray. All right? So you will know when to go if you want to. Okay. <laughs> words are this. Into your hands I commit again all I am for you, Lord. You hold my world in the palm of your hand, and I am yours forever. There's a second verse which comes after the chorus. The second verse is, I'll walk with you wherever you go. Through tears and joy, I'll trust in you. And I will live in all of your ways and your promises forever. Chorus, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live, the reason that I sing, with all I am. Has a little bridge. Everything has a bridge these days. Uh, I will worship, I will worship, I will worship, I will worship. And it comes back to Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. I just need to ask you the question, do you? Do you? Who will stand with the Lord this morning? Let's listen to it, then I'll, I'll be back up here in a minute.
Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live, the reason that I sing with all I am. Let's just sing that bit together. Don't worry if you get the words wrong, but you know, you know the gist of it. And then I'll pray. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I belong to you. You're the reason that I live, the reason that I sing with all I am. Father, we are grateful for grace and for mercy and your massive, massive patience. We ask that you would give us the strength we need to take our stand with you and with your people. Take us out into the days that lie ahead, strong in you and surrounded by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.